Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations and a full extra show from Season 3, Episode 14, our discussion on complex balloon hepatocytes, the errors they cause in drug assessment, and how AI-assisted technologies can improve analysis. This conversation starts with observations from the panelists about what they take away from the discussion. The first part addresses the question of how many slide samples to take, with the upshot being that the right idea is to use a constant number that will provide a reasonable set of balloon cells to find and analyze. We moved on to closing thoughts on this main episode, and there were three major takeaways. To shift the analytic variable from the number of balloon hepatocytes to the total volume of balloon hepatocyte cells, to integrate AI-assisted analysis as quickly as possible, and, as a general concept, to improve the consistency of data quantification so that interpretive variability shrinks and we can size and stratify samples for studies correctly based solely on statistical error considerations. With this, the panelists changed and we shifted to the extrasode discussion. This issue has pivotal implications for all drug development going forward, and we all need to absorb its lessons. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, Join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. So, Quentin, I thought that last comment of yours was um, really to the point. Uh, if you go back to my, my last comment, that what we're trying to do is we're trying to capture uh, visual data in a limited number of measures that focus on very specific phenomena within it. So it's it's not surprising to me that the first thing that happens when you put this in front of a computer is the computer says, okay, this is a holistic assessment. How do we start to assess more holistically before we get down to the specific thing that we're looking for? And that does feel like, a, as Stephen pointed out in his training, that does feel like how the human mind works. We're kind of getting to the end of our time for this session. Well, we have a few minutes left. Uh, so, Mazen, Yorn, questions, comments, anything you want to share? I'm, I'm fascinated, again, with this kind of work. It's really important for the field. It's pushing it forward, and I congratulate the authors on, on this work. Yorn, go ahead, comments, thoughts? Between the group, the main problem of the difficulties to identify the cells has been addressed. I mean, something that Stephen didn't mention this time around, I kind of was waiting for his comment, is the number of slices you should get from a biopsy to then start looking and finding those uh, balloon hepatocytes. Quentin, maybe you want to comment on that, um, because that's something normally what comes up if we can't find it on that one random slide that we just took from that liver biopsy. Maybe we got to look in a different place. So this is an interesting question. And so if you're looking for a balloon cell and you keep taking sections, eventually, all things being equal, you're quite likely to find a balloon cell. The problem is when you're then wanting to judge therapeutic response, the more sections you do, the more likely you are to find a balloon cell, therefore you haven't demonstrated a complete absence of a balloon cell. So beware of what you wish for, I think, is the key thing here. And much better to take what we consider to be, and have always considered to be a reasonable sample, whether that's one section or two sections, it doesn't really matter, and assess it in a very stable, very standardised way. Because then you've got the headroom to show increase or reduction later on when you do the end of treatment biopsy. So that's my take. Yes, so Quentin, if you increase the sample, even if you're looking for something rare, and this is again from a completely naive perspective, you should increase the potential for variability as well. That that doesn't overcome the problems we're talking about. So I get the point that goes if you go hunting for slides until you find one with a balloon hepatocyte, that's not likely to be a solution. But Stephen's answer has been three uh, as the number to, to focus in on. It actually is one of the thoughts behind my question about how many can you find on, a, on an average slide, appreciating there is no average slide. But the the idea being that you need a common number 
and that one is probably suboptimal? As you rightly say, there isn't an average side. There isn't a clear answer. What we've identified is that there was huge variation on any one given slide in terms of the number of balloon cells. So, for example, uh, slide five, which was the one that every pathologist considered to have the most balloon cells, the the number of balloon cells ranged anywhere up to about, I think it was about 225 down to about 45, depending on which pathologist was looking at that one image. So that gives you an idea of the variation you're dealing with here, uh, Roger. Yeah, difficult to manage a number. Other questions, comments from, from anybody, and then I want to go to a wrap-up question on this session, and then we'll move on to the second half of the conversation. I was only just going to comment on what Stephen was saying earlier, and if we're going to look at samples from patients who donate these samples, we need to be using more tissue if necessary to get the best value at the tissues and if that helps a pathologist get the right patient into the right trial or actually exclude them and the best information then we should be able to use more tissue if it's felt to be necessary because these are highly valuable samples and they're not the nicest of procedures as we all know so making most use of that tissue for any patient and the trials are really really important. Thanks Louise. Let me get a last question which is if we could go up in a helicopter and come down 12 months from now and if that doesn't work, try 24 months from now. What will realistically be different and what is it appropriate to aspire to being different in how in, in how we do this process and where it's taken? Quentin, go first. That's great. Dive in. So I think there are two things I would like to see, whether it's a 12 months or 24 months, I, I, I'm, I'm not so sure. The first is I think we need to move away from this concept of absolute loss of ballooning as a trial endpoint. And I think we've touched on this already. We need to consider ballooning as a continuous variable which is quantifiable so that we can actually assess change in it and that's one of my biggest hopes and that requires thought from import from the field input from drug developers from regulators and and so on to get to that point but we need to move away from this yes no question about ballooning the second thing I would like us to see is I would like to see the field moving further towards an understanding that AI assistive technologies actually should be used to support drug development. Um, I think we are it's, it's an area where there's a huge amount of development going on, um, but we're already seeing how it can be used to help stabilise assessment, reduce variation, and potentially support human pathologists to actually assess biopsies in a more quantitative way in the drug development space. So those are my two hopes. Okay, thanks, Quentin. Uh, anybody else? Go ahead. I have the same answer, and I like the timeline. In 24 months, I think more, more realistic than 12 months. 12 months? Yeah, 12 months. Uh, good morning, it's 5 a.m. In 24 months, I would like to see machine learning technology being used for, at, at minimum, entry criteria for registry trials and, and hopefully understanding how we use them uh, for outcomes. Speaking of that, I know you're, on, you're a big fan of screening failure, teasing out, like, what can we do better? So I do wonder if you want to look at this new technology and using the this paper to, to see how much we can reduce screening failure in clinical trial. You can just take one trial and, and, and see what was the screening failure rate uh, due to ballooning and then if you use this technology what would it be that's interesting Jorn that's a great great lead into you since I think about screening failure and you frequently in the same sentence go ahead <laughs> screen failure is obviously of concern and and you know for good reasons we use histology to qualify patients for clinical trials for the use of a 
drug where we do not have certainty that the benefit for the patient is there. So I think, you know, there's clear room. And that's why I think in 12 to 24 months, we're still going to use histology. Maybe we're going to change the endpoint. And looping back to what uh, Quentin says, we're over asking the changes on liver histology and, and, and expect them to be predictive of the future. I think we'll see different endpoints being explored. We'll still use histology having patients going into trials, potentially then AI supported with a, let's say, promil area of ballooning on the biopsy or something like that to quantify it and then look at something different at the end of it. Thanks, Jorn. Louise? I think the guys have summed it up very well. It's their area of expertise. I suppose if I look at 24 months, maybe the two years, Intercept, I believe, are reviewing all of their biopsy samples in relation to some of this information from their study. So they might have that data out and that would be interesting to see that comparison. But um, no, I just think we need to be progressing. We've got technology for a reason. It can augment the processes that we've got. And I think if it improves the patient care, the outcome and the productivity of these studies, then it should be used to best support the histopathology teams. Thanks. Thanks, all of you. I think if you've been listening to the few comments I've made during this discussion, my answer shouldn't surprise anybody. I'd like to take the emphasis off the, if you think about semi-quantitative as a word in 24-point type, the reality of where the error has lied historically is that semi has probably been in about 90-point type, and quantitative has probably been in about 8-point type, although we treat quantitative as the only thing that matters. Since quantitative is what matters, I'd like to see if we can change the type sizes, right? Uh, Through use of, uh, hey, basically through use of uh, AI-aided histopathology in and of itself, that should shrink semi and increase quantitative. And then if we do that without bias towards what are we measuring for, I think the example we're talking about this morning, which is don't count balloon hepatocytes, look at volume or some other measure, is a good example of that. Then we can shrink it further. Uh, To do any of that, though, you need data, really solid data. So in some ways, to me, the most exciting thing about this conversation is in any increased acceptance of AI guidance in this role will automatically automatically shrink semi and increase quantitative, thereby allowing us to, in a more opinion agnostic way, figure out where our lies and what we can do to improve it. And, and Quentin, to that end, uh, I commend you and, and Beth and, and, and everybody who was on this project, because um, between this and the Davison paper, when I, when I came into this field three years ago, I was astonished at how little was known and the degree to which people were looking at measures that were really sloppy and treating them like the only thing that mattered. Uh, the Davison paper, this work, and a couple of other things have started to really clean that up. And, and, and a lot of what's been done in omics, net result being, we know a lot more about what we're looking for and are now starting to figure out the smartest ways to figure out if we're getting there. So I don't know if that's 12 or 24 months, but I think that's really exciting. And, and now back to Roger. This conversation is sponsored by HistoIndex, the world's leading specialist in stain-free AI digital pathology solutions for NASH clinical trials. Join HistoIndex for its complimentary webinar, Deciphering NASH, Fibrosis Dynamics in Cirrhotic Patients and Insights into Balloon Hepatocytes Using AI. That's a mouthful. At 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday, March 23rd. For more information about that podcast, visit the Season 3, Episode 14, or Histo Index sponsor pages on the Surfing Nash website. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a review of high points from the Nash Connect and Liver Connect meetings. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 